This is The Analysis, and I'm Sharmini Pires. In just a few minutes, I will be speaking with economics professor Gerald Epstein about how the Federal Reserve's inflation reduction policy is targeted to protect the rich and the wealthy, and not the workers, not the unemployed, or the ordinary person that is feeling the real brunt of this inflationary economic crisis we are in. Welcome back. Professor Gerald Epstein is the co-director of the Political Economy Research Institute at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. He is the author of The Political Economy of Central Banking, Contested Control, and The Power of Finance, and also What's Wrong with Modern Money Theory? A policy critique. This is only two of the many books he's published. But in December, Professor Epstein convened a conference on inflation with some of the leading economic thinkers on the topic. At this conference, Professor Epstein himself presented a paper titled Federal Reserve's Anti-Inflation Policy, Wealth Protection for the 1%, and that is a question, which you can find on the Perry website as well as a small summary of it in the American Prospect. We'll provide a link for it below. Jerry, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Sharmini. Jerry, um, it must be really frustrating for you, someone like you who has been following this issue in terms of money theory, inflation, monetary policy, finance for so long, and you have the research, the analysis, and you understand the effects of such policy. So tell us why this is yet again being implemented, although we have plenty of evidence that this is not not the best route to go. So put this in the deserved context. So the Federal Reserve is seen as the institution in the United States and like other central banks in other countries, uh, whose job it is to control inflation. Uh, But in fact, the Federal Reserve, our central bank, has a dual mandate uh, given to it by Congress. One is to keep prices stable. That's the inflation control. But a second is uh, to to pursue a policy to maintain high employment. Uh, But it turns out that whenever these two are perceived to be in some kind of conflict, the Federal Reserve always chooses uh, to fight inflation and to ignore its its uh, congressional given mandate to maintain high employment. It fights inflation by raising interest rates, and that throws people out of work, and so it just ignores the uh, employment part. And the question that, that my uh, uh, colleague, my graduate student, Aaron Medlin, and I asked is, why? Why does the Fed uh, cavalierly ignore this employment mandate to fight inflation. We'll get back to the issue of why it ignores employment, but your paper provides evidence that shows that this policy serves to protect the 1% and perhaps the 10%, the top 10%. Um, And in other words, it is aimed to restore some of the lost wealth that is experienced during this COVID or pandemic slowdown. Um, which is often blamed on, blamed on supply chain issues and so on. So tell us how your paper comes to this conclusion. What we do is uh, try to ex- explain this paradox uh, of ignoring employment 
and choosing to throw workers out of work by um, looking historically over time how the Federal Reserve has responded both in periods of high inflation and in periods uh, of low inflation. And uh, what it does is the paper looks at the impact of uh, Federal Reserve policy on the wealth distribution. Um, the top 1%, the top 10%, the bottom 50%. And we look at the impact of inflation uh, on, on wealth distribution. Now, uh, how does this work? Well, um, the wealthy are, tend to be people who own financial assets. Uh, and the bottom 50% are people who tend to be uh, in debt. They've borrowed money. And we know from economic theory that uh, the wealthy, the bankers, the creditors, the people who have lots of financial assets, they don't like uh, unexpected inflation uh, because that erodes the real value of their wealth. Whereas people who are borrowers, like students and others, uh, they don't tend not to mind inflation quite as much because when they have to pay back their loans, it's uh, in money that's worth, worth, worth less. Um, and so what we did was we looked at uh, the impact of inflation on the wealth of the wealthy and, and the, the bottom 50%, both with and without an increase in interest rates. What we found is that when the Federal Reserve uh, does not increase interest rates, uh, the wealth of the top 1% goes down by about 30%. But when the Fed raises interest rates considerably, as it has been doing, uh, the wealth of the uh, top 1% only goes down by about 15%. So in other words, this big increase in interest rates is a wealth protection device for the wealthy. On the other hand, it has either no impact or it actually hurts the, the wealth of the bottom 50%. Um, so that's how this process works, and uh, it, and we can show show historically how uh, in periods of high inflation this has been the policy and the impact on the wealthy uh, from the Federal Reserve. And how does it protect the wealthy and their wealth? Well, in fact, it has uh, two contradictory effects. On the one hand, when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, uh, that tends to lower um, the value of, of uh, in, in, in nominal terms or in, in, in many terms, the value of, of wealthy people's stocks and bonds and so forth. We saw how the stock market kind of crashed when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates. So that actually hurts the wealth of the wealthy. On the other hand, when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates and throws people out of work, uh, eventually it tends to lower inflation, which it improves the real wealth, inflation-adjusted wealth, of the wealthy. So you have these two effects, the, the decline in the nominal value of, 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 of rich people's wealth uh, on the one hand, but the increase in the inflation-adjusted value of rich people's wealth on the other. And so the net effect depends on the timing and the size of these two effects. And what we found in this most recent inflation, for example, is that the net effect of these two things was to increase uh, uh, or protect the, the wealth of the, of the wealthy. Now, this difference, these two kind of contradictory effects, you see sometimes plays out in the debates that the wealthy have over Federal Reserve policy. We can see now that sometimes some of the wealthy people are saying, enough, enough, uh, you know, the Fed has stopped inflation enough, let's lower interest rates, uh, get our stock market values back up again. 
But other uh, members of the top 1% say, no, no, we, we need to keep raising interest rates to fight inflation. And this depends uh, on their perception of these two contradictory effects. But the point is, uh, none of them is, are concerned about what's happening to the workers or the bottom 50%. They're just worried about their own portfolios. And what are the effects, uh, Jerry, of raising the interest rates on the unemployed, for example? Well, typically when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, uh, certainly by as much as it has been doing, three, four, four and a half percent percentage points, it makes it harder to borrow money um, to buy a house, uh, for consumers to borrow money on their credit cards, uh, for businesses to expand, um, to borrow money to expand or keep even keep their businesses going. And what the, what tends to happen and what the Fed is actually hoping for is that these uh, businesses will lay off workers. They'll throw more people into the reserve army of the unemployed. So um, this policy tends to hurt workers. It tends to hurt small businesses um, while, as we found, protecting the, the wealth of the top 1%. Now, is anyone calling out the Fed on this, that they have a dual mandate here to keep employment high as well? Um, but Or are those voices uh, small and unheard? <laughs> well, you, you started at the beginning about how frustrating this is, and this is one of the places where it's so frustrating, because very few of the mainstream voices, very, very few, if any, of the mainstream press um, are pointing out this dual mandate issue. Uh, they just accept this idea that somehow, uh, when inflation is higher than they like, that somehow it's the workers who have to sacrifice. It's the employed that have to sacrifice. They kind of treat this like it's well, it's a known fact. It's a it's a it's a uh, a force of nature, and there's nothing that can be done about it. Of course, people uh, work unions and people on the left and uh, um, others who came to many who came to our conference do point this out quite clearly. But the business press, even the mainstream press in the New York Times and elsewhere, um, completely ignore this uh, and say, well, you know, it's just a price that we have to pay. Well, they don't have to pay it. It's the workers that are paying it. And one of the other dominant narratives out there is, you know, we're expecting a recession. We're expecting a recession. We're expecting a recession. It's sort of preparing the public for that. Virtually every recession we've had in the United States in the last 50 years has been preceded by increases in Federal Reserve interest rates, and therefore uh, one can probably surmise that uh, probably caused by that. So um, again, it seemed like, well, it's a price we have to pay to keep inflation low. Um, I think you interviewed Bob Poland, who pointed out that the, there's no reason why we have to reach this 2% inflation target. That makes no, no sense. But the business press and uh, most observers just accept this reaching a 2% inflation target, no matter what the cost in terms of unemployment, uh, as given. So there's gotta, there, are, there are better ways to deal with this. Um, there are many better ways to deal with this. And what are those? Well, uh, first of all, um, you have to attack the problems that are causing the, the uh, inflation. And um, as some people who came to our conference, uh, Josh Bivens and others pointed out, uh, there are three main causes. One is the kind of profit push, the monopoly power of, of companies to raise prices and enhance their profits. Um, that's one thing that's keeping the inflation going. The second are the supply chain problems that resulted from the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Um, 
And uh, third are just uh, standard uh, difficulties that our economy is is having in adjusting to this chaotic ex- uh, experience of the last two and a half years from, from COVID and then the crisis. So these are mostly supply side problems. So the solution um, is to deal with them directly. Uh, on the one hand, it's to subsidize the consumption of workers so that they're not ones who are bearing the burden not, uh, of the inflation, workers and unemployed uh, people in the care sector, as Nancy Fulbury pointed out at the conference, to subsidize those, to put profit taxes on the companies that are profiting from this inflation and redistributing that to people who are being hurt by it, and then uh, to make some very uh, uh, targeted price controls uh, on those sectors that are price gouging um, to help control the inflation. Finally, I think as Bob Poland was pointing out, uh, don't be obsessed with this 2% inflation uh, focus uh, target. We already have an, an inflation rate in the United States that's coming down to roughly around 3.5%, 4%. Um, at a certain point, it's not worth the cost in terms of high unemployment, hurting workers, to reach an arbitrary target uh, of 2%. And Jerry, um, talking about hurting workers, um, one booming narrative out there is that uh, inflation was, all this inflation was caused by the stimulus package provided to help during the COVID and pandemic crisis. They claim that there's too much money in the economy and that that's why they have to raise the interest rates to get it under control. What is your response to that? Well, it is true that if we hadn't had um, the the, uh, the expansionary package around COVID, uh, we wouldn't. Uh, we probably would have had a deflation. We would have had a depression. Um, would that have been better? Um, it's, the, the narrative should be, yes, that's what saved our economy from a terrible depression, a terrible deflation. So that, that was the right policy. Number two, there probably is some areas in the economy where there's excess spending, but that has much less to do, I think, with uh, the, the expansionary policy from, from the COVID years than it has to do with the huge boom in, in the wealth of asset, the wealth uh, of the rich people who, uh, the top 1%, the top 10% in the period prior, who were able to spend that money uh, on goods and goods and services, so I don't think the narrative holds water. But it's very dangerous because now it's being used in the U.S. by the Republicans uh, to say, "Well, we've got to cut spending, we've got to cut the deficit, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling um, because that's what's causing inflation." Uh, and it's it's a very dangerous narrative, and it's wrong. If you're the working poor in this country and trying to make ends meet, um, not only in this country, the world over at the moment because of the spillover effects it's happening, ha- having in all parts of the world. Um, uh, and, and uh, you know, you just can't pay for the things you used to be able to pay for, provide for your family, go out for a celebration dinner and so forth. So um, what is your research findings say to them in terms of a message? What do, what do they need to do? Well, it, it's not what they need to do. It's what the, the government needs, needs to do uh, to help people in this situation. For example, in the United States, as part of the anti-COVID package, we had a, um, 
a big increase in the earned income tax credit. And that should have been made, that helps uh, families with small children, poor families with small children. Um, and they let that lapse. I mean, that should be made uh, permanent and it should be increased. There should be uh, more subsidies uh, for for housing and, and for rent for people. We'd, again, there, there was a temporary moratorium during the, the COVID on that. That should be extended. So there needs to be subsidies for the, the very poorest through the tax system rather than massive tax subsidies for the rich, which the Republicans and some Democrats now want to increase. So the government um, needs, to, needs to make the cost of living more affordable for, for the poor and the working class and not make it harder for them by throwing them out of work. One final question I have for you, Jerry, is President Biden will make a State of the Union address, and I'm sure he will be addressing the inflation issue, uh, as we've just discussed. Uh, what do you expect from the administration at this point? Well, he'll probably say that they've made progress. They're continuing to make progress. He'll back the Federal Reserve, saying it's doing the right thing, and we just need to give it uh, some more time. It's working, uh, which I think is exactly the wrong message. Uh, he should be, be urging the Federal Reserve to, to loosen up and urging uh, the government to make some of these other kinds of policies, these subsidies, profit taxes, and so forth that I talked about before. All right, Jerry, um, we'll come back to you perhaps after the State of the Union address. And I thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.